Amen. Good morning. How are we this morning? Three of you are good. I'm glad you're here. My name is Jake Mills. I'm one of the pastors on the teaching team and online campus. Glad you're joining with us. Make sure you let us know who you're joining with, where from. We'd love to connect with you. If you have a Bible, you can head over to Ephesians chapter 4. That's page 977 in the Bible um, under your seat or the seat in front of you. So I grew up in this area, uh, third boy, third of three boys, I should say, most of my childhood. Uh, then I got two bonus brothers, one older, one younger, later. So five boys, no girls, four brothers, no sisters. Um, my childhood is filled with, my childhood memories are filled with rowdiness, okay? Like I remember getting thrown off the trampoline. I remember getting thrown onto the couch. I remember getting thrown onto the ground in a football game. Okay, I just remember my brothers beating me up. That's what I remember. But it was rowdy, and uh, there was a lot going on, wrestling and paintball shooting and baseball and basketball and bike riding and, and, and all of that. And um, it, was, it was rowdy. And my, I, I remember growing up that everything was a competition with my brothers. It was like, how fast can you run? How many flips can you do? How fast can you eat this bowl of spaghetti? And we would do that on a regular basis. And how long can you keep from crying? This is a normal brother game. How long can you keep from crying when something very painful is happening to you? I won't go into the details, but you know what I'm talking about. My mom did her best. My stepmom did her best to teach us kind of the other side, but she was way outnumbered. But I remember even at a young age, uh, you know, my dad and my brothers teaching me to, to be strong to stand up for those who are being bullied or whatever, to stand up for what's right, to stand against what's wrong, to be a leader. I remember that. And specifically, I remember my dad saying something to me that I now say to my kids. He would say something like, okay, Jake, you're a Mills, all right? And that means something. What you do matters. What you say matters. When you go from here, when you go to school, when you go on the trip, when you go over to your friend's house, remember, you represent me. You represent your mom. You represent our family. You're a Mills. What you do matters, right? So don't mess it up. And if you do, just stay gone. Just don't come back. I'm just kidding. He didn't say that last part. But I now say that to my, maybe your parents said something similar to you, uh, what my dad was saying that he, he what my dad was saying was that he wanted me to feel some pride. He wanted me to be proud of my name, my family name, and to live in a way that was worthy of it. I want my kids to be proud to be a Mills and to live in a way that's worthy of that name. Some of you have them in kids' ministry and you're like, you got a long way to go, bro. All right, we're working on it. Don't judge. All right, we're in a journey. All right, but I want my kids to live worthy of that. In Ephesians 4. The Apostle Paul is having that same talk with you and me, the same talk my dad had with me. Ephesians 4, verse 1, he goes, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. As a society, we put higher standards on certain people who are called to certain things. Like we expect a lot out of our Supreme Court justices, right? Like they can't be out breaking the law all the time. Pastors are the same. We don't want our pastors preaching something on Sunday and then living different from Monday to Saturday. You know, doctors and our kids' teachers, there are certain standards we put on certain people and roles and functions and titles because they need to live up to their calling, right? 
Their position. Paul's going, I urge you, live worthy of the calling that you've been given in Jesus Christ. Dads and moms, and they teach their kids to live worthy of the family name. How much more so when the name that unites us is not Mills or Smith or Jones, but Christ. How much more so are we to live worthy of that name? That's what this is talking about. Because look at verse 4. He goes, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. One body, one spirit, one Lord, one hope, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Live worthy of your calling. Live worthy of your Father's name. What you do, what you say, how you act, it matters. What's interesting about this, though, in Ephesians 4 is where the Apostle Paul goes next with this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, where he takes this, because as a dad, when I'm saying this to my kids, I'm usually talking about like, hey, you need to be respectful to adults, you know, live in a way, you know, you're a Mills, live right, like you need to, you need to be good, you need to, you know, take up for somebody who's, who needs to be taken up for, you need to try hard in class and on the field, or, or maybe I'm talking about integrity, right? I'm, I'm telling them, hey, Mills, we, we live lives of integrity, so be a young man, a young woman of integrity when you go out into the world, when you carry our name out from here, don't cheat, don't lie. Sit with somebody who looks lonely, all of that. Actually, can I just be honest with you? We don't get to those higher ideals very often in my family. Usually I'm like, hey, you're a Mills. You need to represent us well, so don't try to put like a whole, like a, like a whole piece of cake in your mouth at one time. You know, it's like, it's like really embarrassing when you do that. Can you not do that? You, you represent our family. Like, usually with my boys, it's more like, it's not like, hey, you know, live a life of integrity. It's usually like, hey, don't pass gas and mix company, you know? It's like, just, just do the bare minimum. You're embarrassing us. Don't sprint in the foyer or the restaurant or wherever. I didn't want you to think we got to those higher ideals very often. Sometimes we do. Do you get what I'm saying? I usually go to what not to do how to act when I'm having those talks with my kids. And I'd kind of expect the Apostle Paul to do the same thing in Ephesians 4. He goes, live in a way that's worthy of your calling, worthy of the name of Christ. You'd figure he would tie that to like not committing adultery or not oppressing the poor or helping those in need, something like that. But in Ephesians, he doesn't. Instead, he ties this whole thing to unity of all things. Look back at verse 1. I urge you to walk in a manner... Worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. The NLT has that this way. I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. Make every effort to keep the unity. Make every effort to keep yourself united. This is how you live a life worthy of the calling that you've been called to, a life worthy of the name of Jesus Christ. I mean, isn't that interesting that this is where he stakes his flag, that this is where he goes with this thing? I mean, the Bible is saying that living for Jesus means living in unity. Unity is worth every effort. Because we have one body, one spirit, one Lord, one 
faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, we make every effort to live as one. And I know you, you might be thinking, man, unity in the church, really? Is that that big of a deal? I mean, surely we're pretty unified in here. Like, If you made a list of all the things you wanted us to preach on at Beltway Park, you may, you know, unity in the church may not make the top 10, right? But it's, it's not just Paul in Ephesians that's talking about this. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he said this prayer and it's like his last real prayer. What's he going to pray for? You think, well, he's probably going to pray for like the salvation of the world or the safety of the disciples or the glory of God or something like that. He doesn't. He prays for unity. He prayed this. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. In other words, not just the disciples there, but us here today, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You and I living in unity, it matters to Jesus. It should matter to us. I mean, think about it. One of the biggest issues in our world today that we keep talking about over and over and over is division. Everybody is so divided and there's so much disunity, right? We're fragmented and fractured out there. We shouldn't be that way in here. It should be different in here. We should carry the oneness and the unity that we have in here out to a divided world out there. So Jesus asked his father in John 17 to give us unity. And the apostle Paul is urging us to say, hey, I urge you to keep the unity Keep the unity no matter what. Make every effort. The problem is, I don't even like some church people. I mean, let's just be honest. Like, I just don't like them. Like, some of the things my brothers and sisters post on social media, you know? Ugh. I mean, not you guys, but some other people in other places, you know, like, it's like scripture, scripture, slander. <laughs> scripture, scripture, idolatry. Oh, was that too, too hard, too harsh? Yeah. Sometimes I don't even like people who call themselves church people or Christians. And sometimes, did you know that like people who are carrying the same name as me, like in the same family of faith as me, Jesus followers, sometimes, I know it's going to be hard to believe, but sometimes they're mean to me. I know. Like teddy bear me. But they're mean to me. Sometimes my brokenness and my sin bumps up into their brokenness and their sin. And it's hard to keep the unity, to make every effort to maintain the unity, to live worthy of the calling to which I've been called. It's, it's hard. I mean, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's bitterness after being, you know, preaching for the last like 18 years. I've gotten more than a few um, angry emails from church people, you know. Some handwritten letters. I mean, not as much as, not as much as Jeffrey Turner, because his like angry email to sermon preach ratio is way higher than mine. All right, no, I'm kidding. Seriously, though, our world is so divided, so extreme, so opinionated. We're pushed into this us versus them mentality all the time when it comes to every disagreement. And it seems impossible to create unity, you know? Like, how am I going to create any unity here? I'm so different. How's it, how, how are we supposed to do this? But wait a second. Is that what we're supposed to do? 
to create unity? I mean, Ephesians 4, 3 said, maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Keep yourselves united in the spirit. Listen, the unity we're talking about from Ephesians 4, the unity of the spirit is different than other unity. It's different than normal unity. I mean, just think about it. People unify around all kinds of things, right? They find unity around all kinds of things, like nations unify around their teams uh, in the Olympics every four years. You know, every... Uh, November, we've got politicians here in America unifying people around a platform or a policy or a personality. And we got all kinds of things. People get unified about like the gym they go and work out at and a football team and a hobby and a fraternity. Here's a good example. Have you ever met somebody who drives a Jeep? They're in a cult. I don't know if you've noticed. If you don't believe me, they, they meet up with other Jeep people. Okay, They have a secret Jeep wave. If you don't have a Jeep, maybe you don't realize this. There's a secret Jeep wave. Like you see a Jeep driving down the road, you got to wave or you're out of the cult, all right? You got to do a certain wave. And then also they put rubber ducks on other Jeeps. I don't know if you've seen this. So you got secret meetings, secret wave, animal sacrifice. I don't know. That's a cult. I don't know. I'm just kidding. I just wish I could drive a Jeep, but they don't make 10 passenger Jeeps, I don't think. Jeep people are weird, but they're unified. You get people unify around all kinds of stuff, stuff, visible things, outward things, things they do, things they like. But what makes the unity we're talking about special is that it's not based on this is based on something deeper. It's not based just on our preferences or our similarities, but it's based on the reality of God. In other words, true unity is based on not on who we are or what we do, but on who God is and what he's already done. That's what our unity is based on. And because of that, it's a gift when you and I were rescued, redeemed, saved, made new by the Spirit of God, we were also unified by that same Spirit. We were given a gift of unity. So it doesn't matter that you like loud worship music and I like really soft worship music. It doesn't matter that, that you like to dress up and wear a suit and I like to wear a t-shirt to church. It doesn't matter that, that, that you have this economic policy and I favor this other one. It doesn't matter. I could go on and on and on. None of that should affect the unity we have in Christ because it's not based on preference. It's based on the most powerful experience you could ever have. Unity is not something we create. It's something we keep. We don't make it. We maintain it, the scripture says. I mean, to be in the family of God, to have his name, something had to have happened to you, right? One thing, one prerequisite one experience that changed everything, not something you learned, but, but someone you met. I mean, the Spirit of God had to have transformed you to be in the family of God. You had to have been saved because of the love of Jesus. It happened to you. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. But it happened anyways. Some, it's a gift. Sometimes I think I need to create unity, you know, produce it. Make it happen, but actually that's not up to me. 
It's not up to you either. We just need to guard against losing it. We need to make every effort to keep it, to maintain it. Unity matters to Jesus. It's a worthy pursuit. More than that, it's a command. But there's so much freedom in realizing that it's not ours to create. It's a gift from God. It's not based on a code or a cause, on a political platform or preference. Because we have one Lord and he has one body. We have one faith and it leads to one hope. Amen? But listen, that doesn't mean that we're all the same, right? Like you've heard this before, but unity is not uniformity. Those things are different. I'm not up here saying that we're supposed to be the same. I'm not up here saying that we need to all be like Stepford wives, like all the same. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. I don't even believe that the Bible teaches that. In fact, I believe the Bible teaches the opposite, that we are supposed to be made up of different parts, that we're a body made up of different parts, and different parts of the body have different gifts and functions and roles, and we need everybody. So if you're a hand in the body, you should do hand things that you shouldn't look down on the foot because it can't grasp as well as you lest our body end up trying to walk on our hands. You know what I'm saying? And so we're supposed to be different. I mean, in our passage for today in Ephesians 4, Paul writes that there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. But then this, he says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Each one of us. And then he goes on in Ephesians 4 to say that God created different roles and giftings in the church, like apostles and prophets and evangelists and teachers and pastors and all for the building up of the church as a whole. One spirit, one faith, one Lord, but different gifts, different roles, different personalities, different opinions, different stories and journeys. So unity and diversity are not enemies. Listen, the gospel unites people from every tribe and nation. It unites people from every language and culture. It unites people that the world cannot and will not unite, right? I mean, racist and racial activist, killer and victim, the self-righteous and the messed up sinner, unchurched and churched, red and blue. It unites everybody. Think about it. Where else can you find a more diverse group of people than in the church? People from totally different socioeconomic statuses hanging out, serving together. People who don't have any shared interests would never be hanging out outside of church or like in a life group together or singing songs together. It's because Christ is the unity in our diversity. Christ in diversity. It's not uniformity. The goal is not that we look the same, talk the same, act the same, vote the same. That's not what we're talking about. We should expect differences. And differences oftentimes lead to disagreements, right? But let me ask you a question. Can unity and disagreement coexist? I mean... Does disagreement always have to lead to division and disunity, or can it actually lead to unity? Can disagreement lead to unity? 
The world has decided that unity and disagreement cannot coexist, right? And unfortunately, that view has seeped into the church in a lot of ways. But isn't the very essence of true unity that we're different and yet we're moving forward anyways? I mean, isn't it all about how we're, we're together making the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing is just so big and so far up, exalted, so eternal, that, that it doesn't matter that we're different, that our differences kind of pale in comparison. I mean, isn't unity about the mission being so big and so huge and so valuable and so worth our sacrifice and our time that we look at each other and we go, I don't care if we disagree because we need as much help as we can get to carry out the mission of Christ on earth. Isn't that unity? Isn't that what it's supposed to be? Then why isn't it? I mean, it sounds good, right? Sounds true, but why? Why isn't it that way? You know what gets in the way of all this? Unity in the family of faith. You know what gets in the way? Me. I get in the way. Because a lot of times I want recognition over the mission. A lot of times I want my own way over others' ways, over their opinions. I want my opinion to win. Oftentimes I want safety and comfort and convenience. And I look down the road at what it's going to take to get unity. And it's too hard and I just don't even go down that road. It's, it's oftentimes me that is the problem. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem, it's me. Okay, that was, sorry, I just couldn't keep it in. A little T-Swift for you. I mean, it's not just me, right? Like, it's probably you too. <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there. Maybe it's all of us, though. Maybe it's, maybe it's self. Maybe it's self. Ephesians 4 said to make every effort to keep the unity. Don't lose it. So differences in diversity, those are not unity killers. Unity is killed by selfishness. Unity is killed by selfishness. We can throw that next one up there. There it is. Now you can fill out your blanks. Unity is killed by selfishness. Me exalting myself above others, above the mission, above the reality of what God has done in me and in all of us. It's my pride that kills unity. Ephesians 4 clues us into this when it says at the very beginning, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Unity is protected by humility and gentleness. That means we prefer others above ourselves more often than we go the other way around. It means that I defer more often than I decide. It means that I actually believe, not just say I believe, but actually believe in my mind that the opinions and thoughts of others are as valuable or more valuable than my own, even when they, and especially when they differ from my own. Humility is John the Baptist going, I got to decrease so that Jesus can increase. And humility always, always, always produces produces gentleness. They go together and you go, man, I'm just not a gentle person, Jake. Like, that's just not me. I'm, I'm direct and I'm just kind of gruff and it's just my, not my personality to be gentle. That's not the way this works. 
That's not, the, you can't hide behind personality. That's not, there was no out in Ephesians 4, like, you know, humility and gentleness, unless that's not your personality. That's not the way this works. Unity is really, really important. It happens through gentleness, not through harshness. Harshness and, and, and um, humility and unity do not mix. If there's a disagreement or difference with our brothers and sisters, we got to answer with humility and gentleness. And listen, I know, I know this is a different message than what you're hearing out there. Like I get that we're not hearing this message of humility and gentleness a lot. In fact, even in church circles, nowadays we're hearing the opposite. We're hearing like, hey, let's go, get on the horse, get the, get the swords and let's take them out. Like we got to fight. And, and I get all that. And this is a different message than you're normally hearing. I'm just going to say it's not a popular message, but it's never been a popular message. The way of Christ is different than the way of the world. It's never been a popular message. And that just makes it even more important. The world says, man, look out for yourself. Make sure you get what you're due. Look out for number one. Don't let anyone walk on you, trample on you, get in your way. I get all that. I really do. But as Christ followers, we're called to protect the unity of the spirit by being humble and gentle. And not just that, I mean, you think that's bad. It gets worse, all right? He keeps going. He goes, unity is protected by patience and loving endurance. Ugh, right? It's like, man, could he have used any other words besides these? Let's do this. Why don't you close your eyes for a minute? Everybody, just close your eyes. And think about a person that you know that is hard to love. Hard to be patient with. Hard to endure. Okay, close your eyes. Get that person in your mind. You got them in your mind? All right, open your eyes. Now point at them. All right, elbow them if they're next to you. It was you. You're my person. Now there's um, this show that you've no doubt heard of, but it's about 25 years old, actually. But it's often listed as the most watched comedy sitcom of all time. It's called Seinfeld. Have you ever heard of this show? All right. If you've watched Seinfeld, you know Jerry Seinfeld has this nemesis, right? He has this guy that he just can't stand, all right? He just can't stand him. Who is Jerry Seinfeld's nemesis? Newman. And he says it in a certain way, right? Hello, Newman. He just hates Newman. We all have a Newman or two. Or 10. But here's the harder truth. You are someone else's Newman. Ugh. I know some of you don't believe me, but you rub some people the wrong way. Your personality clashes with some other people, and you're somebody else's Newman. And if you don't believe that you're someone else's Newman, right now you're my Newman, all right? In this sermon right now. You are someone else's Newman. The fact that Ephesians says that in order to protect the unity of the spirit, we need to be patient and we need to have loving endurance means that the people in the church aren't doing the first two things very well, right? They're not gentle or humble, at least not perfectly. And so it's going to take some time. 
It's going to take some time. It's not going to be like a one-time decision or a one-off conversation with your Newman. It's going to, you're going to have to patiently and lovingly endure long-suffering. Doesn't that sound great? Yeah. Now, I get this, this is easier said than done, but I think a good starting point is for us individually to remember how far we've come with Jesus. To remember who we were at the beginning, that we didn't deserve Jesus' love, and yet he loved us anyways. We didn't deserve him to be patient with us, and yet me, I know he was very patient and is very patient with me, that he endures me and my sin and my problems, and I don't deserve any of his grace or his love. I mean, maybe the starting point for this is to not look to your right and to your left and, and try to figure out if you're a little better or a little worse than them, but rather keep your eyes up and look at Jesus. Jesus, because that contest has already been decided. He's perfect and we're not close. He's holy and we can't even be close to holy, right? And yet he lovingly and gently gave his life for you and walks next to you patiently and lovingly enduring everything with you. That's Jesus. I mean, if an ant measures his height based on the Empire State Building, he has no right to boast over the flea, right? I'm the ant. And you're the flea. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. You're an ant too. I'm the flea. Maybe the goal or maybe the first step in being humble and gentle and patient and walking in loving endurance with other people is is to keep my eyes on Jesus and keep remembering the grace that's been shown to me. My dad would say to me all the time, and I now say to my kids, you're a mills. What you do matters. That means something. Go live worthy of that. Like, what you do matters. You represent me. You represent our family. And, and the Apostle Paul in Ephesians takes that to the deepest level. He goes, now you don't only represent your dad's name and your mom's name, but now you've given your life to Jesus. And so when you go out, you represent Jesus. You represent him. Live in a way that's worthy of that by making every effort to keep the unity and the bond of peace. And then Jesus on the very night he was betrayed, just before he was arrested, gathered his disciples up to give them some last words. What, what would your last words be to your loved ones, to your friends, to your family, to your husband, to your wife, if you knew you were going to die tonight? What would be your last words? Jesus goes, come here, guys, come here. I got something I want to tell you. I got some things I need to talk to you about. I imagine the guys are excited. They come around him. They're ready to listen. And he goes, a new commandment. I give to you. And the guys are probably like, yeah, something new. Let's do it. Maybe he's going to tell us to grab our swords and go take over Rome. Maybe finally we're done with this peace talk and it's time to battle, time to fight, time to go to war. Let's do this. Jesus goes, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. What? I mean, these are some of Jesus' last words? I mean, love the world, go out to the world, win the battle, glorify God. I mean, all of that I would have understood, but he goes, love one another. I mean, the, the disciples, they had to be confused, right? 
And Jesus goes on, he goes, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Jesus goes, here's how you prove that you're mine. Here's how you represent me well. Here's how you carry out my name into this world. Love one another. Look at your brother next to you. Look at him. Love him. Zealot, fisherman, tax collector. Love him. Leader, follower, fearful, prideful. Love him. Love one another. I imagine they're probably like, shouldn't we go like share your teachings? I mean, shouldn't we like go out and conquer the world for you, Jesus? Shouldn't we do all that? And Jesus is probably like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But first and foremost, love one another. Start here. This is how they'll know. Love one another. What if the change we want to see out in our world is dependent on a change happening here in the church. I mean, what if the unity we long for out there is dependent on unity being protected in here? What if what Jesus said in John 13 is for you and me? And we're all about let's go out and let's go do, and Jesus is going just love each other. Just be unified with one another. Just protect the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. What if it starts here? You have to decide for yourself. It's just a thought. You have to decide for yourself. I want to invite you into a time of response. And so if you need to put your stuff away or crinkle some papers and move some bags and whatever, that's fine. But then I want you to kind of try to zero in for just a moment Let's close our eyes and bow our heads and just ask the Lord to speak to us. What, what does he want to say to you individually? Listen, I, I confess, I don't, I don't know how to create unity. But I do know that selfishness and self-centeredness really get in the way of it. And so with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, maybe we need to just admit that the problem isn't someone else. The problem is me. Maybe we just need to ask God for help. So just think about somebody that you are not walking in unity with right now. Maybe it's a, a, somebody in your natural family, like you know somebody you live with, somebody you used to live with, whatever, brother, sister, mom, dad, son, daughter. Maybe it's the family of faith. Maybe it's in the church or another Christ follower or a coworker, but think about somebody that you're not walking in unity with right now. Ephesians 4 just said that you and I are to make every effort to keep the unity. Have you done that? Just ask God what he would have you do. What, what do you want me to do, God, to, to get back in unity with this person? Maybe, maybe he wants you to go forgive them without them asking for it, no strings attached. Maybe you need to go ask for forgiveness. Own what you need to own and ask for forgiveness. Again, no strings attached. I don't know what he wants you to do. But ask him, what can I do to live in unity with this person? And then, Ephesians 4, make every effort to do that. Go do it. Go do it. But maybe, maybe you'd be honest today and you'd admit that you have not dealt with people 
in a spirit of unity. You haven't dealt with people with gentleness and patience, humility and loving endurance. That's not you. You haven't done that. Maybe you're honest today. You say, man, I, I'm struggling with that. I haven't done that well. I'm right there with you. So I just want to spend a moment just praying and asking God to help us with that. Because those are also fruits of the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who gives those things. And so at, at some point we have to come to a, a place where we go, I can't manufacture gentleness and humility and loving endurance and patience. I can't do it. I need the Spirit to bear those fruits in me. And so I just want to pray for us. If that's you and you'd say, yeah, I need more gentleness. I need more humility. I need, I need more loving endurance and patience. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up? I'm raising my hand. I just want to pray over us. Lord, thank you, God, for those who would say, yeah, that's me. I, I'm struggling with this. Thank you for the boldness that is to say, man, it's not somebody else. It's me. I need some help. So I just ask, just like I said, we just declare together, we don't have what we need to pull this off. Spirit of God, please transform our hearts. Transform our minds. Create new things within us. Give us that spirit of gentleness and humility, loving endurance and patience. We desperately need you. We know you've given us unity. We want to maintain it. We want to keep it. We want to protect it. We want to fight for it. So may we be a people who make every effort to keep united with our brothers and sisters no matter what. Give us gentleness. Give us humility. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.